All right. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 2, the second Psalm in the book of Psalms, as you know, we're kind of in between uh, books of the Bible. So we um, are going to be moving into a new book of the Bible next week. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. There's plenty of seats up here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start a new book of the Bible next week, next Sunday. And so usually when we're between books, I, I usually do a topical or two study. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. I had let the first service know that um, you know, when I finish a study of a book of the Bible, I, um, I don't like, you know, finish that Sunday and then kind of decide where I'm going to go the next week. I've been preparing for the next book, the next teaching uh, for some months before ending the other. And I've been uh, preparing for a study in Galatians. Galatians is a fantastic book just confirming the grace that we are saved by grace you know it's grace it's grace it's grace God's unmerited favor and that's the direction I really felt that I was going in but I'll tell you as of last week I really felt kind of drawn to go back to a gospel I know we just finished the gospel but we're going to go back to the gospel of John and we're going to study that and this is my reasoning because I want to be talking about Jesus when he comes for me and I think we're that close. And uh, if I get through the book of John, maybe another gospel. No, I don't know all of them, but, but anyway. So, Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage, David asked, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, note this, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their uh, cast away their cords from us. Now, here's the Lord's response. And he who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision or confusion. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion or Jerusalem. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, and here we have the Son, God the Son, chiming in. The Lord has said to me, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss or embrace the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all who put their trust in him. And Father, we pray, as we always do, that you would teach us. Lord, we have our Bibles open on our laps before us. We pray, Lord Jesus, it's your word. These words have been inspired by you, by your spirit. As David wrote these things, Lord, things that he had not seen yet, things that were far in the future from his perspective, we pray, Lord Jesus, as those being closer to the fulfillment of these things, we pray 
that you would teach us. We pray that you would instruct us. We pray that we'd be wise because we spend time in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 2. I was thinking, I did a study through Psalms and uh, a number of years ago. You know, time flies, at least from my perspective. I don't know if it does for you, but I, um, when we went through the Psalms, I didn't do every Psalm because there's a lot of Psalms. That would take a long time. And, and I kind of skipped around, and I know that I did Psalm 1, of course, Psalm 1. How could you not do Psalm 1? And, and then I went into Psalm 3, and I did Psalm 5, and so on and so forth. But I, I, I noticed that I, um, I didn't touch on Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is an important Psalm because Psalm 2 is prophetic. I didn't say pathetic. I said prophetic, meaning that it speaks of things that are yet future. It speaks of things that are going to happen in the future. And so David, we believe, is the author of this psalm. And, and David prophetically seems to look into the future. Now, I don't know how this went for David. I don't know, you know what understanding he had as he wrote these things. But as you read it, it's almost as if David just kind of looks into the future and he sees a time when humanity, that their, their hatred, their disdain for God will be so great. The rebellion of God will be so great. And, and as, he, as he writes these things, he says, why do the nations rage? And that word nations could also be rendered Gentiles or heathens. So, so David, he's not necessarily thinking of Israel here, though Israel surely could be thrown into the mix here, sadly. But at the time that it was written, he's thinking of the nations of the world. And he says, why do they rage? And the people plot, or if you have the King James, I have the new King James. The King James uses the word imagine for the people and the people plot or imagine a vain thing. You know what vain means. It means empty. So the question, why are they doing this? Why are they raging? What is the deal with humanity? Why this rebellion? Look at verse 2. It says, the king of the earth, kings of the earth, plural, excuse me, set themselves. I mean, you, you kind of have a picture here. Setting yourself, it, it means to take one stand against he, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Now, I'll tell you, when I read Psalm 2, in light of the world in which we live, I think, oh, boy, this is timely. In fact, I would say that David, David, you weren't projecting beyond our time. You were projecting to our time. You were describing our time. You were describing our day. You were describing the day in which we live, guys, where you have the powers that be, the kings, the rulers, the people with clout and money and everything else, they are raging, they are plotting, they are imagining a vain thing. And the vain thing is, we gotta get rid of God. We gotta get rid of God, we gotta do away with God. Now, later on in the psalm, as you might have noticed as we we're reading it, in verse 10, it mentions the kings once again, and then it also mentions, mentions the judges of the earth. And I think of the decisions that are made by judges of the earth today. Isn't it a strange thing? You know, you, we, 
We, we live in a time where the judges of the earth, many of them, most of them it seems, don't take crime seriously. I mean, there seems to be this leniency, this kind of light approach to, uh, you know, correction when someone does something wrong. And, and um, it seems to be a strange, strange time that we live in. It's interesting to note that the word plot, if you have the New King James, or imagine, if you have the Old King James, is the same word, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Psalm 1 for, and verse 2. Look at Psalm 1, verse 2. You're right there, so it's right on the same page. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. There's that word. He meditates. He imagines day and night. I thought that was interesting. It's the same Hebrew word that's used there. And it's almost as if David is saying, listen, a time is coming, and I would suggest to you that that time has come, when, when the, the nations, when the kings, when the judges, when the rulers, when the powers that be, rather than using their minds to meditate upon the word of God, they will use their minds, they will use their imaginations to try to figure out how they can get rid of God. And this is where we live. Now, when I look at the text and I think, well, okay, Lord, as you inspired David to write these things, you, you covered the, the kings, you covered the rulers twice, you co covered the judges, uh, you covered the people, you know, I mean, just kind of in general, the, the nations, the Gentile nations, and I was thinking, Lord, you could, you could have put in there the, the presidents and the prime ministers of the world and the, the, um, the professors, college professors and the school teachers and the um, school board members. <laughs> this push, this rage, we need to get rid of God. We need to get him out of society. We need to get him out of our... our, our Old culture. And you look at this and you say, oh gosh, we're there. I was sharing with the first service because I am an old guy. You know, I was, I was born in the 50s and I lived in the, through the 60s and the 70s. And, and um, uh, I remember a time when um, in the United States of America, um, most bars and liquor stores or any place that sold liquor, in fact, if a store sold liquor, most of the time they couldn't sell liquor unless they were a liquor store, um, they would be closed on Sunday. Do you guys, some of the older guys, do you remember, older folks, do you remember that when they would, they would be, you know, or you'd hear about, well, this is a dry state, so they closed down those things on Sunday, you know, to remember. And now, boy, I don't, I don't know that if, if a bar or a liquor store was to close down today, it would be only because they didn't have the customers, you know. That would be the only motivation to close down. I think of how things have changed so much. I, you know, I, I went to parochial school when I was a little kid, but I, I didn't stay there uh, throughout elementary school. Eventually, we left the parochial school, the Catholic school, and we went to the public school. Uh, Hargett, I think it was called Hargett Elementary School in Norwalk, California. Now I was on the good side, you know. All those kids, those public school kids would, would 
torment us Catholic kids. We had to walk home together. And we, of course, had our uniforms on, our little red sweaters and dress shirts and corduroys, salt and pepper corduroys and wingtip shoes for the boys. I mean, these were shoes that your father would wear. You know, they're not you'd wear. And, we, and to top it off, we had like a briefcase. I don't know why we had to carry a briefcase. But I mean, we were like an open target for the public school kids. They just, you know, you dorks, you know. But I remember even in the, in the you know, public school that it wasn't uncommon to have a school teacher that maybe wanted to open the class in prayer. If someone wanted to bring a Bible and to read the scriptures, there was no problem with that, you know. But of course now, boy, you'd think, oh, what are you doing? You can't bring that book into this place, you know. I remember when our oldest son was in school and and I think he, he brought his Bible into his class. I don't remember what grade it was uh, because there was free reading, you know. And so his teacher came up to him, and this is quite some time ago, and, and uh, said, oh, you can't, you can't read that. And he goes, well, why not? It's free reading. Everyone else has their whatever they want to read. Why can't I read this? And well, you can't bring that in. It's almost as if the, the Bible had become controversial. We don't want to have that in here. It might offend somebody. Just the mere presence of it might offend somebody. And so David describes the nations at the end of the age. You'll note the word against. It's used twice at the end of verse 2. Against the Lord, against his anointed. So his anointed would be the Messiah, obviously. It's Jesus. And this is what they say. They say, let us break their bonds. Uh, the bonds would be understood, better understood as restraints. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords far from us. Their cords. No, I don't think that this is what David was speaking of, but when I think of cords, because it's something that, you know, the, the kind of binds, I, I couldn't help but thinking of a boat. A boat, you know, tied up to a dock. Well, that's important if you own a boat and it's there. You don't want the boat just kind of floating out there on its own. If it's a boat that's small enough to where you could pull it up to a dock, you want to make sure that it's tied off. Why? Because if not, it will go adrift. It won't just stay there. You can't park the boat, you know. And so I think of that. I think of how they, they, they want any restraints from God to be removed. So in essence, they could drift, they could float any direction that they choose. And I look at this and I say, David, you are speaking of our days. You are speaking prophetically of our times. You are speaking of the rebellion in the last days. And, of course, it's only going to get worse. And we see this in the book of Revelation. If we have time this morning, we'll look at a, a few verses there. But I think our culture today, our world today, I mean, people, for the most part, they're free to do whatever they want. I mean, you think of the things, you know, it's kind of a shock for, I think, some of us older folks when we see the things that are embraced, that are encouraged, that are, it just seems so odd. We kind of feel like we're on another planet. I feel bad for the younger people that kind of grow up in this environment and they don't have anything to contrast it with, you know. To them, it's just like, well, this is normal. This is how life has always been. But, of course, it hasn't been this way. In fact, we've watched a rapid decline in three years. 
I mean, a rapid decline in three years. You say, oh, you always measure things by the COVID thing. I do, because that was a turning point, not only in our nation, but in the entire world. The, the never miss an opportunity, you know, and this was the opportunity that they had to radically change things. And they have, and they are, and they'll continue to change. But I look at this and I think, well, you know, for the most part, it seems like, you know, most nations, except for Islamic nations, and of course, I I Islamic nations have different reasons, but, but most of the nations of the world, you can do, you could practice, you could embrace any type of lifestyle that you choose without any real ramifications from the powers that be. I mean, it's not against the law to do this or to do that. Though at one time, even in our country, there used to be laws about certain things that are now, they've now become the norm. But there used to be laws against these things. And I think, what's their problem? Well, their problem isn't that society will give them a nod of approval. Their problem is, is that as long as God exists, as long as God's there, as long as there's this principle of holiness, I feel guilty. And I want to be free from the guilt. Well, that's another story, isn't it? Because uh, cultures of the world can embrace all sorts of perversions, but that will never free anyone from the internal guilt that they feel when they sin against the living God. I mean, there's no escaping that. Well, there is escaping that, and that is repentance and faith in Christ. That's, that's the escape. But a lot of people, they don't want that. That's too narrow. That's too restrictive. By the way, do you know who first told us that it was narrow? Our Lord. He's, he's the one who first told us. This is a narrow way. It's a narrow. It's not a bride way. They're going to try to make it a broad way, but it's, it's not that. It's a very narrow way. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. There's only one way in. It's a narrow way. Well, anyway, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds. I was thinking of um, something that Paul wrote concerning the guilt and consequences of unrepentant sin. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman sows, that they will also reap. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you don't go out and plant uh, <laughs> corn and expect, you know, lettuce. That wouldn't make much sense. It says, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. The word literally means ruin. You sow to the flesh, you reap ruin. Ugh. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, that's, that's what we want. And then he gives an exhortation, a word of encouragement at the end of this. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do you guys need encouragements like that from the Lord? I need encouragements like that from the Lord. Because the days in which we live are so dark that sometimes you feel like, even though we're called to be light, you feel like, you're like this flickering nightlight that really isn't making any difference at all. Don't you feel like that? I feel like that many times in my life. I think of the fact that they wanted to break there, the there that is, is 
gods, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, break their bonds, break their restraints. They say, it, it, this is, we, we can't tolerate this. You know, God has something to say about marriage, and we just don't like what he has to say about marriage. God has something to say about the sanctity of life, and we don't like what he has to say about the sanctity of life. God has something to say about sin in general, and we don't like what he has to say about sin. We, we just want to do him. We want him out of here. We want him away from us. We don't want to hear these, the mind of God. Doesn't that seem so strange? Remember what Jesus said? He said, come to me, all you who labor. That word labor, it, it literally means, it speaks of those who are tired from hard toil. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And that heavy laden literally means loaded down, loaded down. And he says, and I will give you rest. What a great invitation. He says, are you, you tired from hard toil? Are you loaded down? Well, I'll give you rest. How, Lord? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Familiar portion of scripture. Everyone knows that one, huh? Did you ever stop and wonder, what was he referring to? What was he talking about? I don't think he was talking about, you know, it's been a hard week, I'm really tired. I mean, there's some application there, I'm sure, that you could apply. But I can't help but think of the burden of sin. You know, before we come to faith in Christ, before we surrender to Christ, and that's really what it is, we work at sin. It's a laborsome thing. We carry the, the bulk, the burden of sin the consequences, the responsibility of sin. And yet Jesus offers us salvation. And not only salvation, it's not like God is dealing with us at a distance. He says, listen, I offer you my yoke. You want peace? Come to me, he says. He doesn't say, go find a good church. You'll find Peace, or it doesn't say, go find a guru or some teacher that you could listen to. You'll find peace. No, 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 no. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And that's how it should be. And that's how it always was. And that's how it always will be. I, I look at this and I think of the offer that the Lord gives, how God is so patient and so long-suffering, and he knows that humanity is burdened with sin and that we have no peace without the Prince of Peace, and so he beckons humanity to come to him. He says, come to me and I'll give you peace. Now we're all in different places, we've all been in different places in our life. I think of when I was growing up, when I was a young guy coming up, the greatest thing that I wanted, the biggest void, the biggest peace that was missing in my life was peace. It was just always Turmoil. I mean, there was turmoil on a, just a, you know, I was in turmoil. I was kind of a shy kid, believe it or not. Um, I, I, um, I was very insecure. I, um, you know, I just, I didn't like to be in unfamiliar situations. There was no peace. I just felt anxiety all the time. But I'll tell you, when I came to Christ, 
It was like that missing thing. Now, listen, I'm not taking away from the most important. He gave me salvation and life and that eternal and that abundant and everything else. But, but I'm just on a personal level. The here and now is that when I received Christ, I received his peace. I can't understand it. Well, that's what Paul tells us, that it surpasses understanding, that peace. It is a gift from God. That's what it is. He is our peace, the scriptures tell us. And I just think of how humanity, the rebellion against God, and you almost want to say, and I think this was behind what David was writing at the beginning of this, why did the nations rage? It's like you want to ask them, what's your problem? Why do you hate him so much? What has he done to anger you so much that you want him out of your schools and out of your government and out of our homes and out of you know, life and, you know, as a whole? You want him out. You want him gone. Why? Why? And I'll tell you, there is an agenda. It's not a good agenda. We know that there's going to be a final rebellion. In fact, you could keep your hand there and in Psalms and turn to Revelation chapter 19, we know that ultimately this rebellion that we're seeing now that David wrote about so long ago will find its uh, conclusion when Jesus comes back at his second coming. In Revelation chapter 19, you know, the, we have that scripture of Jesus coming on the white horse. We see that in verse 11. He comes back and, and we, we just see him in his, in his glory and his robe is dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God and uh, the armies of heaven are clothed in white linen. I believe that speaks of the church and, and we have this beautiful description and there's a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But then when you look down to verse 19, it says, and I saw the beast, remember the beast there is not a creature, it's a man. It's the Antichrist. That's how God sees the Antichrist. He refers to him as a beast. And the kings of the earth. Oh, well, we just read about the kings of the earth in second, the, the second psalm. And the kings of the earth and their armies, so they have armies as well, gathered together. And that's what we saw in, in, in Psalm 2. You know, what brings them together? They're united together with one cause. Let's get rid of God. Let's rebel against God. So this is the ultimate right here. And so, um, and look what it says. It says, gathered together to make war against him. I mean, it's really come down to the, now it's time to fight. He's here. We've been waiting for this. You can almost picture him pulling up their sleeves, you know. You think of the arrogance. You think of the stupidity of man. They want to fight the Lord. And it says, uh, who sat on the, horse and against his army we're involved in this then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image and these two that is the the beast and the false prophet or the antichrist and the false prophet were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest well the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him that is the lord 
who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. You know what that tells us? That tells us it doesn't end well for them. It does not end well for them. I love how it goes, the psalm, it goes, as many of the psalms do, it kind of goes from the doom and gloom, the reality, the present situation, to the glory. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. Now, he's not laughing because it's funny to him. You know, sometimes we laugh at something that's just absolutely ridiculous. We do that. He laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision. It literally means confusion. They'll be confused. In fact, they're probably going to turn and start fighting one another. I mean, there's this confusion in the world today. You have nations, you have peoples. They're not in agreement on anything except their agenda, the agenda that is rebellion against God. It says, and distress them in his deep displeasure. That literally means his burning anger. Yet the Lord says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, these same nations that are rising up against him for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. The Lord speaks as if, listen, because he's outside of time, he's eternal. He, he knows the rebellion that's here and that will grow and, and, and reach its ultimate end in Revelation chapter 19. He knows it. He sees it. He's aware of it. He hears them. He, he knows what, the, you know, the school teachers are saying, we got to get rid of him, get rid of God from the school. We got to, you know, these, these Christian parents are the only parents that seem to have values that go against what our agenda is. So we need to get rid of them. We need to silence them. Have you been feeling that? I think any parent of children experience that to some degree or another. You kind of feel like you're an unwanted, you know. I mean, when you show up to the school, I remember when some of our children were in school, most of them were homeschooled, but I remember Tracy had gone to the school for something. They didn't let her on campus, and uh, I think she was there because Nehemiah was in the principal's office once again for bringing weapons to school. (laughs) The weapon that he brought to school was a G.I. Joe gun about that big and Tracy called me from the parking lot of the school and she said I think we're done with school and I said yes we're done with school I mean not school we're, we'll homeschool them that's why Nehemiah drools to this no <laughs> we're done with it in fact one of our daughter's um, teachers I wish I remember his name but I shouldn't say his name because but he was across the hallway from us and he would always see Nehemiah out in the hallway, you know, time out. And, um, and, and when we had freedom to walk the halls of the school, um, uh, Tracy was there one time, and the teacher left his class, and he came up to Tr- Tracy, and he says, you know, I'm Brittany's teacher. She goes, yes, of course I know you. He said, it's none of my business, but I want to say something to you. She says, what's that? He says, that little boy doesn't belong here. That little boy needs to be in a barn playing. He needs to to be doing adventurous things. He needs to be a boy. 
and they are squashing his creativity. They are squashing. And, we, and you know, I mean, it was like, it was, you know, he's really going on an edge here. You're kind of you're speaking against your, you know, paycheck, you know. But he was dead right. And I think, I know I'm going off on this. I need to be careful when I go off on rabbit trails. But I think sometimes our children, man, each one of them are created by God. Each one of them are individual. Each one of them have different strengths and different weaknesses. Each one of them will be, you know, if they commit their lives to the Lord, I mean, God's going to use them in the way he wants to use him, use them for his glory. But we're all different. And the goal is not just in the schools, but the goal is in society as a whole to make us all little clones. We all nod when we're supposed to nod yes. And we, you know, we all do what we're supposed to do. Never, always comply, 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 comply. That's the message of the world. Comply, comply, comply. And I, I've said it many times, but I remember the first time I saw the bumper sticker, Question Authority, and I thought, what a stupid, rebellious bumper sticker. I love that bumper sticker. Because I've, I've learned, I, it took me a while, you know, because I'm an old guy, it took me a while to say, no, we should question authority. Not in a bad way, not in rebellion, but we should question authority. We shouldn't take everything we hear as, you know, truth. Even within churches. This is why I challenge you many times. Study the scriptures, know the scriptures. Don't take what I say, because you know what, I might misspeak. I misspeak a lot. But I might say something that's not clear, or not, and you could do your due diligence, and say, but this is what the word of God says. So ultimately, we want to receive our marching orders from the Lord, right? But I love the fact that the Lord, he speaks as if it's already done. He speaks as if Jesus has already come, the second coming. He speaks as if Jesus has already set up his kingdom upon the earth, that thousand-year reign of Christ. Can you imagine what it's going to be like, guys, here on planet earth? Isaiah spoke about it. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden, Revisited. Longevity of life. You know, I don't really want to live a long life. My prayer with, to the Lord many times is, Lord, when you're done with me, I'm good to go. I mean, I really do pray that. It's not that I dread life. I just, I just don't have, you know. But I'll tell you, in the millennium, for those who come into the millennium with their bodies, with their natural bodies, Longevity of life is going to be glorious because it's in the presence of the Lord. I mean, he's the rule. He's the authority. He's the judge. He's the one who says what's right and what's wrong. It's going to be glorious, glorious. But the Lord speaks as if this has already come. And he says in verse 9, you shall break them. Who, uh, listen, it's like they want to break. They want to break the bonds. Listen, there's only one that's going to be breaking, and it's the Lord. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. I mean, that's a picture that we can all recognize, right? Did you know that this verse is quoted three times in the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is dealing with judgment. It's, it's like that hope in the midst of, of all the horrible things that are going to be taking place during the tribulation that the, that the Lord is reminding us. He's remi he says, remember, remember Psalm 2, guys? Psalm 2, Psalm 2 was, if you will, my revelation of the Old Testament. 
Psalm 2 is where I told you what was coming. And be encouraged, guys, because my king, my lord, my son, I will be sitting upon the throne. Now, therefore, verse 10, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. This is what's so wonderful about this, guys. We live in an age of grace. Do you, do you understand that there are different, I, I don't like to use the word because people get uptight if you use some of these words, but there are obviously different dispensations in life. You know, there was the dispensation of Adam and Eve, and there's the dispensation of the law, and there was a dispensation of, you know, God's dealing with Israel that will return in the tribulation period, but there's these different dispensations or economies might be a word that isn't as offensive to people. But, but I think it's interesting to note, and we see it even here, that we are living in the age of grace. And even the kings and the presidents and the prime ministers and the college professors and the school teachers and the board members and whoever and, and all that want to get rid of God and his precepts and his ways and his word and anything to do with God, we, wanna, we want to be done with him. They still have opportunity to repent. Isn't that wonderful? Guys, you need to remember that as well because we all have loved ones that have not surrendered their life to the Lord. And sometimes we, we, we just think, oh, it's never going to happen. Continue to pray for them. Continue to be a witness to them. Continue to be a light to them. He says, now therefore be wise, O kings. In other words, don't be foolish. Don't rebel against me. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss or embrace the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. You say, well, I don't like that. That's threatening. Listen, guys. Get over it. Get over it if that's threatening. I don't like that. I don't like God. You know, it just sounds like God is trying to intimidate. No, God's not trying to intimidate anybody. God is God. And he's not like us. He's nothing like us. Nothing like us. Now, I don't know how it is. I, I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 18 years old. My dad freaked out and said, what in the world are you doing? This is, I mean, Vietnam had, had just, you know, kind of come to a, you know, a close. And, and, and from my parents' perspective, the last thing they wanted their son to do is to be in the military. Now, things have changed now, you know. Also, my dad was a sailor. So you guys might appreciate that. So anyway, um, um, but he, uh, he said, oh, Danny, you know, go, you know, go find yourself. <laughs> go, go, go hitchhike. Go find yourself. Go to school. Go to college. My dad was so bent on keeping me out of the Marine Corps. A friend, his, actually, uh, the boss at, his, at the company that he worked for um, wanted to meet with me for lunch. So my dad and I. So we met in this like dingy bar type of place, you know. And I knew the guy, you know, I'd met him many times before. And he came in with his Marine uniform on. And um, it was like the green uniform, you know. So this is going back quite some. And we sit down and he's looking at me. He's, you know, I've got hair down to here. And, and he's looking at me, he goes, Danny, so your dad told me. And I kind of almost would have laughed because, you know, uh, 
the years have not been good for this guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just kind of bulging, you know, the, the uniform. It's not that trim marine body that he would have when he would wear that thing. So he had to have it open, you know, and I don't know that you could technically do that. But anyway, and he said, Danny, don't go into the Marine Corps. Uh, listen, you got to go find yourself. I mean, this was the thing. This was the thinking back then at that time. You go find yourself, you know. Do something else. But I'll tell you, during that time, my dad drove me down. We lived in San Diego, and so he drove me down to the Marine base. And uh, we, I remember we pulled up to the chain link fence, and uh, the drill sergeants were out there. And uh, you had the Marines, you know, standing on the pavement on their little spot, and the guy with the Smokey the Bear hat, and he's walking by, and he's screaming in all of their faces. Now, this is back when, you know, different times. But he's yelling, he's screaming, da 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 And, and I, my dad's just quiet. We're just watching that for a while. And uh, my dad said, Danny, I fear for you. And I said, why, Dad? He says, because one of those guys are going to do that to you. You're going to hit them, and they're going to kill you. <laughs> he just kind of knew me. He knew my temperament at that time. No, I don't think I would have done that, because obviously... There was authority. But it's interesting that, you know, at least back then, no one was saying, the drill sergeant's being unreasonable. Who does he think he is? Why does he deserve my respect? No. There's an understanding. This is his position. This is my position. It would be best if I submitted <laughs> and obeyed. It will go easier for me here if I do that. How much more the Lord serve him, serve him with fear. You say, well, that doesn't, so with reverence. Is that a better word? In fact, that's a word that you could insert there, reverence. And this is something that sadly we lack even within the church. You know, guys, God is not the big man upstairs. That's so disrespectful. He's not a man. He's not upstairs. He's not our equal. He's God. He's outside of time. He is spirit, the Bible says. In fact, the only manifestation of God that we have in a human form is Jesus. And any other manifestation that he might have given at different times. He was the burning bush that was not consumed. You said, oh, that's what God looks like? No, no, no. That's just a manifestation of him. Remember Moses, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, you can't see me and live. But I'll tell you what I'll do. You go to this location. You go into the cleft of the rock. I will place my hand over you, and I will pass by, and I will declare my name. This is a plug for the ladies' study. I will, I will plug, I, I plug. I will declare my name before you. And remember, after that experience, that experience, he turns and he sees the Shekinah glory or the back burners of God, you know, and he's got this glow. Woo! Reverence. He says, "Listen." If you're rebellious, repent. If you're rebellious, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Lord, embrace the Lord. 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way. I think a revelation that believers have that non-believers don't understand. You guys come on up. Is the fear of the Lord. There is this fear of God. He is my heavenly father. I love the Lord. I can't wait to see him. I'm not afraid that he's going to, you know, knock me upside the head or anything, but there is this fear. There is this reverence. Lord, I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to make you appear to be something that you're not. I Lord, I, I don't want to take lightly your word. I want to honor your word. And and I'll tell you, you know, you, you become a Christian and your life changes. It's supposed to change. And you kind of look at your life before coming to faith in Christ. And for many of us, we have those BC days that we're ashamed of. There are things probably in our life that we'd rather or we'd hope that no one would know about because they were just shameful things. And some of us lived in debauchery and we did all sorts of things. And, and you just are amazed that God is so gracious that he forgives. And he forgets. That sounds so weird. How could God forget? Well, he chooses to forget. He removes our sin. Remember, as far from the east to the west, the west to the east, however it goes. I mean, it's just... And so often, you know, we remember and we're saying, oh, Lord, you know. And we go through trials and we think, this is it. It's finally caught up with me. Here it is. The hammer's going to fall, you know. But I'll tell you, you know, if we've received him, we received salvation from him. We received, we're living in a state of grace, God's unmerited favor. That's hard to get around, isn't it? Because sometimes we think, well, I think he loves me. I think, I think he loves me when I'm doing good, when I'm reading the scriptures, when I'm praying, when I'm going to church. I think, I think he loves me then. I'm not quite sure if he loves me when I, well, I messed up. I, and we're kind of, and it's kind of this bizarre relationship. And that's the wrong kind of fear. But when we come to faith in Christ and when we mature in our faith, and that's why we want to spend time in his word as much as we can, we have this reverence for the Lord. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, back in the 80s, one of my favorite um, Christian songwriters, Keith Green, was killed in a plane crash with two of his children and a whole family of other people. Horrible, you know. And I remember um, I, uh, the secretary of the place I was working on the day that he was killed, um, I had only worked there for a short time, and she came up to me and she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. She goes, I could tell by the way when the guys were talking about that plane crash and why it happened because they loaded too many people in that little plane, how you were reacting. I could just see it on your face that you were disturbed by this whole thing. And I said, yeah, I, I, I loved Keith Green. I just, 
he inspired me, you know, he challenged me, felt the conviction of the Lord when I'd listened to his music, you know. And, and then she made a comment, and again, I'm not faulting her, but she made a comment. She says, maybe the Lord wanted Keith in heaven to sing music for him. And at the time, you know, I was younger in my faith, and I, I don't know, maybe. I don't think that any longer. I, I don't think that the Lord is dependent upon any human being. I don't think that, that he needs us. I want this. That's why, why did he come so soon, you know? I think God is so self-contained. <laughs> he needs absolutely nothing. And, and, and when we approach him to have that freedom of access because we're in Christ Jesus, but also to recognize you're my heavenly father. And you know where the boldness comes, guys? It's not this boldness within ourselves. The boldness comes from the word of God. And I was thinking about this earlier. How we could say to the Lord, Lord, you said in your word, and we could be bold in that. Because he wants us to be, not arrogant, but this is what your word says, Lord. I'm yours. I belong to you. So I'm standing upon this. I don't think that's disrespectful. I think that's showing due reverence to the Lord. So place your faith in the Lord if you haven't. I look around. I know most of you. I think of the live stream. We have people watching our little live stream every Sunday. And I, I hope, I hope, I hope that people are watching and that they're coming to faith in Christ. Would you stand with me? Father, we pray that you'd help us to be a people we're on the right side of things because of you, Jesus. And we could hardly wait for your kingdom to be set up. We're probably more excited, most of us, chronologically, for the rapture when you come and you take your church home. But Lord, we pray that we would be a people. Rather than being disgusted and, and uh, you know, just fed up with the powers that be of this earth that, that are raging against you, that, Lord, you'd give us a heart, we sang it, that you'd break our heart for the things that break yours. That we would, that we would pray for those. Lord, I, I'm thinking of different leaders that come to mind. Every day we see them in the news, and, and I think many of us are realizing they do not have our best interest at heart. But rather than hate them, Pray that you'd give us a heart to pray for them, that they would be saved because we're living in the age of grace and they still have opportunity to be wise, to be instructed, to kiss the Son, to embrace you, Lord, to serve you in fear and trembling with joy. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.